Couldn't ask for much better situation than this. Severino able to get a huge lead off second. Soto, long ball to left. See you later. First pitch, first homer, first RBIs, 3-0 Nets. Welcome into DTC, three-man show. A little bit of an odd roster here. Matt the Met, Steve, and myself. I am Joe, and I am happy to be here. We are going to get to the caps, but let's start with that soundbite we just heard. It is a week in review, so let's start on Monday. First at bat for the big bat that everybody was anxious to see. Uh, one Grant Polson, I think, went to see him a few weeks back in the minors just to get his eyes on him is what he kept uh, kept saying. But Monday night, he steps into the box. First pitch he sees, swing and home run. And your first thought was what, Steve? Oh, I don't know if you're going to like this one. <laughs> My first thought was uh, Bryce who? Yeah, I, I, I knew it. <laughs> I just knew it. I've known you for too long. I've known you for too long. I... I... I, I can't say that. I can't because Bryce actually had a great uh, series against the Padres. He's, he leads the NL in home runs. So no, no Bryce bashing for me. But my first thought is, my goodness, uh, one Michael M. Rizzo. I have no idea if his middle initial is M, but Michael M. Rizzo is just incredible. I mean, the way he finds these guys is, is – I mean, Juan Soto is 19 – he is not the best prospect in our, our farm system. Victor Robles is. I mean, it's incredible. And, and he, he looks like a, a fully developed uh, outfielder. It's incredible what he's doing. I mean, and you, you mentioned the home run, but I mean, his, his whole series was, was incredible. I mean, he was on base, you know, four times that first game. He walked a couple times, had a double. You know, he was just having great at-bats, quality at-bats against, you know, competent pitching. Obviously, the Padres are... are you know, not well, you know, world burners, but uh, uh, you know, he he looked the part. And, I mean, and they're still professionals, exciting. right? And the Bryce, exactly. the Bryce exactly. comparison I, is, I mean, they're not the same type of player. But you know, once upon a time, Bryce did the same thing, if I'm not mistaken, on in his debut. Yep. So it's and it's 19. always it's always exciting and interesting to see that, especially when people don't expect it. I think there was this there was a little bit of trepidation. No one was 100 percent sure of what he was gonna do. Could he, you know? Could he be patient? Could he sit on a pitch? And the answer was no. He he had he swung. He hacked at the first thing he saw, and you know it fell his way. Uh, you know, Matt, you're a Mets fan. You know, watching that game or or you know just kind of kind of looking at it now, like there's the the Nationals are beat up here. Let, let's you know if we're looking at this entire week here, they did not fare well against. Uh, well, let's go back. Let's go back a little bit here against the Yankees. You know, essentially both games were a push. I think the first one went 3-3 or so through five innings, and then they they basically just said postpone. And then the monsoons came. The Nats took, what, I think they had almost a full week off between between starts, uh, and it, they had to shuffle their starting pitchers and do a whole bunch of other things. They looked okay against the Padres. They looked horrendous against the Dodgers. And, you know, this weekend they started a series with the Marlins. So, you know, give us your perspective. I mean, yes, you know, Juan Soto was a bright spot, but I'll be honest – Yesterday in the bottom of the ninth, I think it was uh, was it Michael Taylor that stepped into the Michael box. Lane. Yeah, the game was over. I had zero confidence in this guy being <laughs> able to to save, pull out a win, or get on base or anything. Even though they had two, he on, did so. hit a walk off the night before, Joe. Let's let's just okay. That, did you okay. have any confidence in him, Steve? 
I'm surprised, yeah. but I'm just you saying. Were, I know you were up, at the game. You, 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 I know you, you made your way out, and you were trying to get over to the Caps. I, I, and we'll talk about the Caps I, I in a minute. C-A-P-S, Caps, Caps, Caps. But Matt the Met, you get in here. You give us your thoughts on the week that was. Uh, okay. Uh, that was quite a long question. Uh, I mean, you don't have to. So, <laughs> no. Yeah, obviously there's nothing to say about the Yankees series because it didn't happen. Uh, the Getting swept by the Dodgers is is is, uh, is never a good thing, uh, you know. Especially the, this Dodgers, this version of the Dodgers, I should say. Uh, I honestly thought that uh, I would say that taking two out of those five games or six games that they played that weekend, I think, is something that you might point to as a problem. Uh, but again, um, I think we cooler heads prevail. I think you got good pitching performances out of uh, Joe Ross yesterday. He struck out nine. Right, yeah, three-one loss. Those are going to happen. You get a two-one walk-off win. That's nice. And then you mash them the day before, ten-two. Uh, yeah, Juan Soto's exciting. I think anytime you have a nineteen-year-old call-up, uh, you just want to see what they're going to do. Uh, and you never get too high. You never get too low with these kids because, as you know, he homers his first his bat, but third game he goes zero for four. So I'm not going to read too much into that either. It's going to take time for him to read major league pitching to get a, get a feel for himself. But the guy has basically flown through the minors. I think he's he's definitely here. And I think uh, kind of as, as Steve pointed out, Mike Rizzo's done a great job building this team's depth, right? Be it young people in the farm or veteran guys to come in, even though those guys haven't necessarily all been healthy at once. The thing that the Nats have to rely on and to relax is that they're deep. They're deep in pitching. They're deep in the farm. They're deep in their in their bench. Once everybody's back, this team, as I said, I said that they would be in first place by Memorial by the end of Memorial Day weekend. I think if they, they're playing Miami next, if they sweep Miami, guess where they're at? First place. So they're only two and a half games out as of t- starting today. The entire NL East outside of the Marlins is only three games apart from each other. So the Nats are in a good place. They're still figuring things out. They're putting things together. Good week, not the best week. Uh, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't read too much into the losses, I think. Not playing every day definitely messed with them a little. Uh, but you've got a nice the, – the schedule still looks really sweet. You've got Miami and Baltimore in your next six games and Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta could be, a, could be a trial. But in those nine games, I see six and three, potentially five and four. Uh, and I think the Nats, again, end Memorial Day or at least June in first place. This is the most melancholy I, I've heard Matt Demet. Okay, I mean, I think I don't like the, it. Actually, season's taking a toll. I mean, he 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 dropped a Joe <laughs> Ross reference, and yeah. I think he meant Tyson Ross. His little Tyson brother Ross. was pitching for the Padres. big brother, big brother, oh. not to not little brother. I think he's the older brother, right? Is his older brother? Yeah, it's the older, less talented. Yes. Oh, but but a... but Matt Matt. I mean, you're you're a baseball guy through and through. Juan Soto's swing. Is it not? Bryce Harper looking in a mirror. I mean, that's incredible. It yeah. looks just like it. I mean, I think I think a lot of these guys are coming up with the same swing, right? There's just this now emphasis on exit velocity and and mm-hmm. sort of the launch, the launch angle, right? Launching, and I think all the young guys are buying into that. And so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Juan Soto's probably been watching Bryce Harper and emulating his swing for the last five. Yeah. He's 19, right? So, yeah. I mean, five years ago he was 14, and he. And Bryce Harper is probably his favorite Major League Baseball player. So I think it's pretty cool. I mean, it's cool to to, to see. And, yeah, it, like I sort of had a similar thought when he posed the question, like, what was your first thought? Like Juan Soto and then you have Robles still in the system. Like, 
yeah, nobody wants to see Bryce Harper leave DC, but you've got some great young talent to come in. They won't be Bryce Harper right away, but the potential's there. Well, you know, I'll give you three things. Two really, really cool things from this weekend that I thought was awesome, especially with Juan Soto Swing, is you never, I mean, you rarely see this with young guys. We talk about 19-year-olds, is when he got to two strikes in these at-bats, what he started doing is he started widening his stance and protecting the plate. I mean, he's a power guy, but for him to be able to protect the plate with two strikes, widen your stance, make contact, and get a hit. I mean, that, that's something that 30-year-olds are still learning how to do. For Juan yeah. Soto to be able to do that at 19 is really, really impressive. The other cool thing about Juan Soto we have to mention is, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, but the Nationals have a, an academy in the Dominican Republic that they fund. They showed a video of the kids watching Juan Soto's home run, yeah. and they went, I mean, I, I felt like they were at the Cap One Arena <laughs> watching the Capitals. Okay. <laughs> they were going crazy, uh, which is really, really cool. I mean, just class organization all around. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, incredible what the Nats are doing. Um, damn, I forgot the third thing. It had nothing to do with the uh, You were on a roll. Uh, I, I Juan Soto. That I know. great. Damn. Wow, that's, that might be the best. It might, uh, it might, it might have been about the girls minute, at the Cap uh, One Arena uh, last night. Uh, that's for another podcast with the with an e explicit tag not for this audience sir uh, my wife listens to this one. oh 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 this is what i'm thinking with bryce with bryce when you get to the off season now okay now this is actually uh you know some analysis when you get to the off season now what robles i mean assuming robles is who we think he is and juan soto what this does is it gives rizzo leverage to go back to bryce and say look you're gonna get 500 from a piece of garbage team like the Padres or, you know, I guess the Angels look really good, but you're going to get a lot of money from a team that might not contend every year. Take 300 from us. Make the other 150 in endorsements. Run for Congress for all we care. Okay, you're in D.C. Do whatever you want. And and look at what we're building here. I mean, you could be a legend here um, with, with, with the nucleus of this team. Boris Client. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. That doesn't happen. That doesn't like. No, uh, but I don't but, think this counts. But we have a relationship with him. We can go to Boris and say, "Look, we need the hometown discount." Not, I. But what I, what I'm saying with Rizzo is it gives us leverage if we can do that and let Bryce say no, and then you know what, that's okay. But and and we can invest 400 million in a lot of other nice pieces uh, yeah. with these guys behind us. So it just gives. Rizzo something to work with gives you leverage. Obviously, gives you trade uh, pieces as well. That if you know something happens to uh, Doolittle or something like that, you need a closer. Uh, even you know this season or next, you got pieces in your farm system. I mean, we didn't even talk about Eric Fetty on Wednesday. I don't know if, if Matt you saw his line. He looked great. Maybe pitched you know one run ball over six, and you know he's the one that looked really outmatched last season. Comes back and they bring him up just to start Wednesday, and he looked awesome. So. God, yeah, the man crush on Rizzo is growing, and 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 rightfully so. I mean, I think that's what that's what you want from a general manager. You want a general manager who, in a long season, you feel that they have equipped your team well enough to make it through the grind. And Rizzo has done that. And if he's not, if they're not equipped, he's going to get them equipped quickly. And I need to stay and play with those guys. Like, hey, play with these guys. This will be our outfield for the next whatever many years. I mean, that's that's exciting ball, man. And. Uh, so yeah, I, this, the off season will be what it is. But Harper, uh, Harper's mashing, right? Like he's not hitting for an average, but he's definitely putting the ball, hitting the ball over the wall. And so 
it's fun to watch the Nationals, but right now it's also a little boring. Like they, they kind of are who we thought they were, or they're becoming who we thought they were. Well, let's so, change is, topics to something not boring at all, because DC is on the verge. I, I mean, we are about to be playing for. We're out of business. Uh, yeah, we're going out of business. I'm lost for words, to be honest. It's been 24 hours since the Capitals punched their ticket to the Stanley Cup Finals. I've done. I've had so many conversations with people that were in Cap 1 yesterday. Steve and I were there with some other folks. Uh, Matt, I, you were going to join us, but you couldn't make it. It was crazy last night. When we got there, they told us, only the lower bowl sit anywhere you want. By the time we left, the lower bowl and the 200 level, the midsection, not only were open, they were full and overflowing. We took a beer bath uh, after the third goal and then took a second one after the fourth goal. It was incredible to be in there yesterday and watching, basically just watching a game on TV, but easily, I mean, if that building holds 21,000, 20,000, 21,000, the two lower bowls are full. We're talking about 16,000 plus people sitting, watching the game on TV, and and it was it was an atmosphere unlike anything I can remember, anything I can even, you know, there's, there's few things that I've been around that have been that loud, you know, and that... Um, I guess energy was consistent start to finish. At least that was my takeaway. You know, and before we get to the nuts and bolts of the of the actual game and what happened and the heroes and the outtakes and what's coming next week, you know, Steve, what was your impression having been, you know, we've both seen live hockey. I this is my first viewing party anything of this magnitude. What was your impression? You know, I'm I'm going to be hyperbolic right now, okay? You know, I'm going to bring a hot take right now. I mean, you know what was my first impression is that game last night captivated the heart of this city. And, and you, you may think I'm, I'm exaggerating or whatever, but what I reckon it to, what I liken it to is January 28, 1992. A, a young, strapping six-year-old Steve <laughs> tunes in and watches the Washington Redskins defeat the Buffalo Bills for their third Super Bowl title. And at that point, and I'll tell you why that's a historic point for me and many, many people, including you, Joe, and a lot of people in this area, because what it did is it captivated the heart of all the young kids to the Washington Redskins, which made us loyal to a piece of garbage. Please don't make this about the Redskins. A piece. No, but I'm saying the, the loyalty that we gave to a piece of garbage franchise for 20 plus years. Why? Because they had achieved any success? No. But because in 1992, they captured our hearts with that Super Bowl. We all remember it. It was Rippin and Gary Clark and Art Monk and Ricky Sanders and the Fun Bunch. And we remember it. And it captivated the heart of this city and turned this city into a football, uh, it kind of solidified a, a generation of football fans. And you're saying last night last turned night, the tide. Well, We're on well, the path to being a hockey super, town. We're on the path to being a hockey town. And, and I'm okay with that. Personally. Are in our favor. The gentrification is in our favor. Right, don't I mean, be a racist, the, the, okay? I'm not being a racist. I'm, I'm giving you facts, okay? The facts are is there's a lot of white people. In this area. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. A lot I, of I mean, yesterday. Was, yesterday it was the most white people ever in that building outside of concerts for any sporting event. <laughs> most per capita what? iPhones ever. Right. It wasn't a Wizards game. It was. It was a hockey viewing party. Uh, and, I mean, that and was pure it was, mayonnaise, yeah. okay? That was mayonnaise on top of glue, on top of whatever. Matt, did you watch uh, at home? 
I watched part of the game. I uh, saw OV score early, about a minute in. And uh, I just think Holtby deserves a lot of credit. Two sh- straight shutouts. Um, look, I've always wondered why D.C. was a one-sport town for so long and why that one sport was football and why it was the Redskins, okay? And I've always I've always looked at the Caps and, and maybe not the Nationals until recently, but I'm like, there's four teams here. But, yeah, I mean, they've picked the, the, the worst of the four or to, to kind of, you know, hitch their wagon to. But I will say it's a fun moment. It's a fun time to be in D.C., uh, even though I'm a Rangers fan, I kind of wish the Caps well. I'd like to. I think the series against the, the Vegas Knights is going to be cool. I actually think the uh, Golden Knights, whatever they call themselves. Uh, but actually, somebody posted something that I thought was pretty unique. They said the uh, the road to the championship has to go through one more former Penguin, right? So you have Flurry yeah. in between, Andrew, you right. know. Uh, and he's uh, so yeah. The Penguins, <laughs> they're still here. Or Penguins, former Penguins, they're still a nemesis. Uh, Flurry's been really great, really, really great. And something about the playoffs, the guy has three Stanley Cups already. So I don't think it's going to be easy for the Caps. But I think if they were ever going to win it, this is really the year. This is really the time. And I think, uh, dare I say, I mean, I've been in this town eleven years. I guess it's my hometown. Uh, you kind of deserve a championship. So if Philly can have one, why not DC? So Man, let's let's. I like a lot of what you're saying, and and I think Steve actually encapsulated why this town skews so heavy to the mm-hmm. Redskins, and it's because the people that uh, you know are buying property, it's it, the people in charge are the people that grew up in the era of the '91 Skins, and the group that mm-hmm. we watched the game with uh, last night. By the way, I always hear conflicting: is it hockey match or hockey game? It drives me nuts because I use both terms, and people say it's no, both. No, it's but, a game. Whatever. It's not soccer. Soccer uh, match. Uh, okay. Yeah. Hockey well, hockey game yesterday. The 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 millennial-ish crowd that was there last night. I mean, those will be the those will be the people in charge that will be in our shoes in about ten or fifteen years. And if they can actually, if this runs its course, and this team of destiny, which it feels like to me that we are right now, and I, I don't I don't say that lightly, because every puck that would have traditionally gone against us yesterday didn't go in. The team that we were supposed to beat, the only team we were supposed to beat, we went down 0-2 in series one, and then ended up winning four straight. Against the Penguins, our nemesis, the they were arguably the slightly better team. You go in there and you beat them in six. And then in against Tampa, you go up two, you lose three, your back's against the wall, and you string together two back-to-back games. And there was a great conversation I heard today. Uh, I can't remember another back-to-back meaningful game series, two-game series, in this town in my in my lifetime. Where somebody where they had to win two back to back, I I really couldn't think of one. I couldn't think of a single scenario of anything of this magnitude, and and I have so many thoughts about yesterday. I mean, Tom Wilson is personally becoming like a I mean a folk hero in this town after the performance he's had just in the playoffs. He's earned every every penny of his contract. T.J. Oshie, who everybody was you know bitching about, he was made too much money. His contract is bloated. Whatever. He comes out and he earns his pay too. He took one in the cleat. He took one in in and uh, DSP took one in the neck. But Tom Wilson, to me, he, he uh, the loudest pop and, and to use a wrestling term here. There was two crazy pops last night in that arena. The first one wasn't it was uh, not after Ovechkin's goal, but it was after uh, Wilson's coming out of the the box and basically beating the crap out of uh, Coburn. That was the loudest single pop, and the building wasn't full yet. <laughs> And then obviously the last, the biggest pop of the night was the last three or four seconds of the game when when it just went, everyone went bananas in there. 
Uh, but I did some research, and I, I didn't know this at the time, but it turns out that, uh, I don't know if you guys know this either, but uh, Tom Wilson, he told him, he told him, he was yelling at him in the box, like through the, the plexiglass or whatever, that he was going to bash his head in as soon as those doors opened. And it had nothing to do with the play. It had everything to do with him throwing the uh, the sweater on the ice. And I did, yeah. I did some research into this. It was fascinating. I didn't know, but l- hockey logos are sacred. Like, you don't walk on them in the, in the dressing rooms, and you, you never throw a jersey on the ground. So, um, I, you know, I'm not going to draw any analogies or, or, or compare it to anything else, but he didn't come out and do what he did because of what happened to his teammate. He came out because he felt that he had disrespected the, the Capitals franchise and fan base and everything else by throwing the sweater on the ground. And that's why he came out and beat the snot out of him. But... Uh, you know that that to well, me was I, I think, fascinating. I think, you're, I think you're being kind there. I don't think Tom Wilson needs a particular reason to bash someone's head in. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think it was just Tuesday for Tom Wilson. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I do, uh, I do want to point to one other guy. I think deserves a lot of credit. I mean, a lot of the, all the guys do, but Orpic Brooks Brooks Orpic. I mean, the guy was hitting everything in sight. He was he really kind of threw the lightning off their game a lot, and so. Uh, just kind of from what I can glance, Definitely. the guy made an impact. You're right. I mean, the so, old man, well, the old yeah. man stepped up. DSP took one yeah. off the neck too. Well, uh, yes, and, and and all of that is true. But what we have to say, and Matt, you mentioned it in passing, but needs to be reaffirmed is the MVP of that game and the series was Braden Holtby. And Holtby. to be honest, yeah. I was I was telling Joe, I said, feels like the Caps were, were really hanging them out to dry there. I mean, that defense was weak, was porous. Those first two periods. We were outplayed. I mean, we were up because of an incredible individual play by Ovechkin, an incredible shot by Ovechkin. But, I mean, Tampa Bay had time after chance after chance after chance to score. We were outplayed in that first period especially, and I think also in the second period. So Holdby was the one who – and the irony is that the Caps have always been the one to run into that hot goalie in the playoffs that just shuts yes. down yes. in offense. And so, I mean – finally the table has turned that we have the hot goalie i mean if we could have played the stanley cup tonight it would have been advantageous right if we could have started this thing i'm worried about the rest you know for a couple days but no um, i'll take it i'll take it everyone needs to kind of get it out of their system relax the caps need to get west they need to get ready you know i will give you one other storyline though that that well two things uh i don't know if you if you happen to google uh brayden coburn the guy who got his you know his ass knocked in by uh, tom wilson yesterday his wikipedia page was briefly updated to say r.i.p which was fantastic he was killed night. by tom wilson. he was killed by tom <laughs> wilson um but uh i want to talk about george mcphee for a second because this is i don't think this has ever happened in any professional sport at any level for the, across the majors or or any other of the of the other sports whether it's soccer or uh the, the castles uh, tennis whatever i has has there ever been a GM who's responsible for probably seventy to eighty percent of both rosters of the two teams that are meeting in the in the respective finals of that sport? Maybe maybe in baseball, can you guys pull a, a general manager that was responsible for two different rosters? I mean, because McPhee was here up and up until what he was here for seven years through twenty fifteen. He left for the Islanders. The Islanders make their play the, the playoffs in his first year, and then he takes the gig with uh, with Vegas. And Vegas, obviously, they've they made a cup run. They're they're in the Stanley Cup Finals in his first year. So this guy knows what he was doing. And in hindsight, you look back now, and you're maybe it wasn't McPhee, maybe McPhee wasn't the problem. Maybe it was upper management, very Redskins esque. You know, maybe it was a problem at the Leonsis level because McPhee clearly knows what he's doing, and he's he's like literally like he's he is personally his hands are responsible. For seventy to eighty percent of both the Vegas roster and the DC roster, that's crazy to me, and I don't think that's ever been done 
in any sport. I can't think of one. Baseball would be the closest. Jerry, but. Jerry West, Jerry West would be the guy that would come to mind. Mm-hmm. He's helped build some really good ride. He built that met each other. Roster. Oh, I don't know if they no, met each other. Remember. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. crazy. I, I don't know if anyone's kind of caught that, but to me, it's been. This is. I mean, that's a that's a crazy little sub story too, but. Um, I mean, do you think let, let's we'll put a bow on this topic here, but uh, do you guys feel like this could happen? I'll start just so as sort of the uh, the impartial person in the room. Look, I think everything is on their side, to be completely honest with you. And I think they really established a storyline of storylines, right? Year after year after year of getting close and not get not being able to get there, not being and now they finally, got there. I think that's the type of sort of agony that builds a fan base, a lifelong fan base. And I think they I think they're gonna get the cup. I think they'll get the cup and I think they'll get it in less than six games. So I'm I'm saying six or less. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So Amazing. Be, I I believe game six will be here. I believe that we can win. So oh. I do. I believe that and actually and and uh I, I'm excited. I, I'm excited for the town. I think the caps I think caps take it in six. Less oh, wow. or less. I, I I agree with him. I think in the playoffs, especially when it comes to, you know, the best of sevens, you know, baseball, basketball, hockey, I think you need to learn how to win. I mean, I think the great ones, I think LeBron went through a period where he didn't know how to win series. Now he knows how to win a series. Uh, I think, you know, the Nats are still clearly learning how to win a series. I think you need to learn how to win. I think the Caps learned how to win a series in that Pittsburgh series. I really think they, they came of age in that series. I think they overcame their demons. I think they learned how to grind out playoff hockey. I think they learned how to stay composed. I think they learned how to kind of manage situations better, limit turnovers, limit dumb mistakes. So I, I, think, I think they put it all together, and I think it's going to be uh, one for the ages. I think, yeah, I, I think they are the more talented team. I think... They, uh, you know, have more playoff experience, obviously, outside of the goalie. But, um, yeah, I think they're going to win. I think it'll be in six. And I think it'll be at home at the Cap One Arena. Oh, my uh, goodness. You guys are getting me excited. You guys are getting me excited. uh, I'm not confident enough to say, you know, to pick them yet. But I'm certainly feeling like there's something different here. And it's not just puck luck. This just feels like a different team. They've dug themselves out now of three of, of holes in three consecutive series, and and they Ovi is just you know the great eight is playing, he's playing a little different. I mean it, he, I mean his game has changed. He's he's back on defense. He's diving in front of pucks. He's hitting people left and right. He's not you know he he's patient in the offensive zone. I think there's things that are different about this team. They're resilient, and you know we've had players like a Tom Wilson and like a DSP in the past, but they. They look they look special right now, and and I'm excited. So here's, Go ahead. Here's the other difference. They've come into the they've often come into the playoffs as the number one team, right? And underperformed. And this year they've had to go through top ranked yeah, teams. You're right. They've had to play. They've had to win on the road. They had to go through Tampa, go through Pittsburgh, right? So they they have the, like I know they, but winning and winning the way they've won, I think. There's no real momentum in the playoffs. Every game is sort of its own like environment and own world. But I will say winning the way they've won, I think there's a lot that they can learn from that. And I think ultimately they will learn if you lose game one, you don't get too low because there's still game two and game three. And I think that's what they just proved to themselves 
in this last series, and I think that's invaluable. I, I agree with uh, you growth. so much. I think if they if yeah. they can if they can somehow eke a, eke out a, a game one win, uh, I think that would would settle their nerves, and I think that would put us on a trajectory to to actually win this. But um, there's going to be a lot of hockey talk over the next uh, over the next week. Uh, one more topic here on our our weekly rundown. The NFL passed. Wait, wait, Joe, Joe. Yes. Are, are we not doing an obituary for Morgan Freeman? Uh, I mean, I like to wait until there's <laughs> actual evidence of something because everyone, everyone's guilty hey, of something these days. Hey, he's fallen trapped to the boobies, okay? <laughs> uh, who hasn't? Who hasn't? Come on. Allegations. People, you know, people are crazy these days. Everyone alleges something. Everyone alleges something. I just something. look, look. I told my wife if she ever gets invited to a Morgan Freeman uh, goodbye party, okay, she is not going. <laughs> I think that's I think that's sound advice for all of us. Uh, I mean, he's also like what is he, eighty three years old? I mean, he's in the Cosby. He's doing room. well. I, I can't. I, I have a hard time picking on the old people for some reason. Weinstein, I can go all day, but the old guys is a little bit tough for me. But um, let's talk about it, this NFL. It used to be if you were old, you could say whatever you wanted and just write it off to senility. <laughs> Those were the good, the, case. the good old days. <laughs> Do you guys want to talk about this NFL thing, or you want to talk about old people and boobies? I, I'm I can go either way to be honest. I'd like to talk about the let's, NFL, just specifically because that, that's what put NFL. that's what put DTC and and specifically myself and Stevie on the uh, the local uh, what local celebrity map, I suppose. That's it was right. uh, we were on CBS a couple different times, but the NFL made it official. The players will have the option to stay in the locker room during the national anthem, which ironically was the policy up until 2011 or uh, sorry, 2000 and 2000, I think is when they signed their deal with the, uh, with the military, their promotional deal. So that used to be the policy. So they're, they are extending the opportunity to players management, anyone who wants to kneel or protest to stay in the locker room. But if they step out onto the field, they must stand or they will be fined. I don't know if they disclose the fine amount or if it's escalating, like with each time they they do it, I don't know if that was done or specified, but just give me your your twenty second hot take here. Does this make it? Does this fix the problem for the NFL? Does it give the players a reasonable um, alternative to stand? Just yes or no to those two questions. Uh, it fixes the optics of the problem. It doesn't fix the problem, right? Okay, everybody's standing, but you still have a problem. You have a you have a player base now. You have a union that feels unheard. And feels like they've been taken away, but and they go sit in the the whole point. Basically, by keeping them in the locker room, you're saying that you're you can't publicly, you know, uh, speak out or you can't publicly kind of uh, whatever uh, demonstrate. So I don't know. I, I think I think the NFL had to do it though. I mean, like, it's a business, and they have to protect their business. And their business was suffering, whether we like it or not. And uh, so I think the 30 white men got together and did protected their their <laughs> billions of dollars. And uh, you they know, got two I don't, Middle I don't, Eastern brothers in there. Okay. I mean, yeah, Matt, Matt just described a plantation farm right there <laughs> in the 1900s. Okay, I didn't know Colin Jay Kaepernick Henry, was. Man, uh, he's challenging his inner Kaepernick. Okay, uh, look, look, look. look the, the truth is, the NFL is the Washington Redskins of professional sports. I mean, they can't get out of their own way. They have no idea how to handle this. The NFL looks at itself and says, "We have a problem." People are not buying tickets. People are not coming to our games. People are not watching on TV. What is the solution? This stupid anthem thing. And they try to, to mandate and force people to do stuff. It's, it's, it's not the problem. The problem is crummy football, a crummy level of football and crummy quality of football. If they would spend a, a, 
a tenth of the time focused on fixing the game instead of, you know, trying to what I believe is infringing upon people's, uh, uh, you know, freedoms and rights. I mean, you can then believe I that, think... but you're wrong, but okay. <laughs> First of all, no one's ever watched the anthem before uh, during the. They don't even air the anthem until the, like when the game comes on. It always comes on for kickoff anyway, and they're always talking through the anthem. So this idea of respecting the anthem and all that. I mean, my point is, I, I like. I just think a bunch of bunch of rich guys just protected their pockets and did what they had to do. Uh, so and they got kudos from the they, 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 they did. They did. I actually think they it makes it worse. To, but they did. I think this makes it worse to be honest because now you're. You're 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 actually giving the option to people who may or may not have protested or fake protested or whatever they were planning to do or not do. You're actually giving them a platform. So I think the NFL is hoping that two things. I think the NFL passes this and basically says if you want to be like Team Cap and Team Bennett and Team whatever and protest, hang out in the locker room. Don't piss off the the paying customer, the paying fans that are supporting our sport and our business. And the flip side is I think they're hoping that the fans will then turn around and say, well, at least we don't have to look at them kneel. I don't actually think it fixes either problem, and I, I agree completely. I think this is I think they would have been better served potentially to do nothing or just to mandate that everyone stand, period. And and the way the NFL does, the way the NA, the NHL is, is doesn't even have Americans playing in it. It's all Russians. They stand there for the national anthem, and that's just yeah. what they do. And in, in the NBA, David Stern had the foresight back in the day, if you guys remember uh, Mahmoud Abdul Roof used to sit because he was like, I'm not American. They were like, well, you stand. And then he started to try to like pray. And they were like, no, you can't do that either. I mean, David Stern had the foresight to say everyone stands out of respect, period, end of story, or you get fined a, a lot of money and you get suspended. And that was the end the, of it. The, it went away. The, the context behind this is important because all the NFL did is they overreacted to an overreactive president who picked on them and decided they were going to be the butt of his his attention for a couple of weeks and all they did was try to appease him so they wouldn't pick on him. Well, the truth is now he, he thinks the NFL is, is weaker than ever. I mean, he's going to pick on them even more so if I, other stuff happens. I, You're I not going look, to appease this I'm going to say something you may disagree, like you may, sh- it may shock you. I don't completely disagree with you. It is an ultimately an overreaction to something that POTUS uh, shined a light on, but the big disservice actually wasn't done by POTUS it was done by by ESPN and the broadcast partners, well, specifically right. ESPN, right. by magnifying the importance of Kaepernick and what he was or wasn't doing. They actually, like, if the NFL really looks in the mirror, the this entire issue was self inflicted by by putting someone like Kaepernick front and center rep and on a on a network like ESPN, who pays the NFL a lot of money to broadcast all their material and inside the NFL and NFL Live and NFL Draft and NFL NFL NFL. They pay a lot of money for all these broadcast rights, and every show was about, can Kaepernick play? Why doesn't he play? This is racism. They did themselves a big disservice, and I think in hindsight, if you go back to the beginning of Kaepernick kneeling for the, whatever reason it was, if if Goodell goes to ESPN and says, you can cover him in the context of being a bad quarterback or whatever his capacities on the team, but do not amplify the off-the-field stuff, then we never get to the point we're at now. So... Like in hindsight, I think you, you look back at this. This is a media create. It's a media driven, media created um, hoopla, more or less. Because if it was just Kaepernick and Bennett and a bunch of other people that don't really know what they're doing or don't know what they're protesting, I mean, Kaepernick himself was like, "I'm I'm protesting this and that, but I don't I can't be bothered to go vote." So you know, he he shot himself in the foot with any any small or little credibility he had. But ultimately, now the NFL is in no man's land because the players that stand on the field are going to be hailed as heroes by the fans 
who are largely Republican, conservative, and want people to stand during the anthem, and the players that don't, like the Marcus Peters uh, of the world, for example, who happens to be now in L.A., and maybe that's a little bit more of a liberal town. You know, you got to think that Kansas City, looking at him and what and his antics over the past two years, you know, he's a good player, but I don't think they wanted to deal with that headache. Kansas City is not an overly liberal town that was supporting and rallying behind someone like Marcus Peters. So, you know, everybody wants to keep sports and politics separate, or specifically politics out of sports. Kansas City is a really good example of a town that looked at the politics of their player and said, we're not going to deal with it. I mean, frankly, Ka- Kaepernick will never touch a football professionally in the in the NFL again because of his politics, period. Yeah. Joe, uh, Joe, but can't can't you, Joe, as a conservative, see that this is an infringement upon uh, uh, – you know the the free speech and no, first amendment no, rights. Absolutely and the fact that, absolutely I mean, you you, not. No, you zero, hate you zero, hate zero. you hate when people listen. You zero. hate when people are too sensitive and they can't make jokes. No, no, and no, 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 no. But words. and and if so Kaepernick wants to listen, doing the same thing. No, but the, but I I work for, I have an employer right, and when I represent that employer, whether in uniform on contract site or anything else. I do not have the freedom to fully express myself. It it is limited. That doesn't mean that I don't have my first amendment my first amendment protections and constitutional rights. It means that they're limited. If you work at McDonald's, Clay Travis talked about this at length. If you worked at McDonald's during the election, you couldn't wear a MAGA hat and serve but, food uh, because uh, that uh, would be well, up up until two days ago, his employer did not have a policy on standing up or no, 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 you're wrong. You're wrong. The NFL, the NFL players rule book, and I can look it up for, I can Google it right now. They had two, they said, while in uniform, you stand in attention for the, it's in the player's rule book, not the league rule book, the player's rule book, that when you're called to attention, like if you're in uniform, these are the things you should do. It's actually explicitly defined. So when people say that Kaepernick has his, his first amendment, this and that, no, no, no. His, his, he signed a document to be employed by the 49ers, which bound him when wearing the uniform to respect and do X, Y, and Z. So that entire argument is 100% flawed. But furthermore, that would be- if unless you're self-employed, you do not have absolute freedom of speech. It doesn't exist. You're free to have your opinion, but you cannot, like if you represent an entity, a business, you, everyone has a boss unless you are the boss, right? And if you are the boss, you do whatever you want. But Kaepernick isn't the boss. Kaepernick is, he is paid. Shaquille O'Neal said it best, right? He said, I'm rich, but the guy that pays me is really rich, right? So if that guy says, stand up, you stand up. It, it's it's that simple. It's that simple. Yeah, and I have I have no issue with employers putting down rules because those things are stated and you agree to them before you come on. So that's the thing. I don't have a problem with the NFL just saying stand or sit or do whatever, but they just have to say it. And you're an employee of that league. You have to do it. Now, where where I have a problem with the NFL is where they, they use his politics to keep him off the field, right? That's where the problem in my eye lies, right? I mean, is he, is he at least better than half of the backup quarterbacks in the NFL? He's probably better than all of the backup quarterbacks in the NFL, maybe except one, right? So my point is that's where I have a problem with what the NFL has done. I, I, I don't have a problem with the NFL saying, no, everybody should stay. That's our, that's our employee policy. But the collusion the, to, keep him, to keep him off the field because he kneels is stupid, right? Because to quote Allen Iverson, we talk about the anthem. We're not even talking about football, right? Like we talk about – we talk about – But you, could, but you can something. also make the case that he was a terrible quarterback. I mean, period. And nobody you, wants to deal you, with you that off-the-field the distraction. So what I'm saying is there are, there are 60 quarterbacks or 90 quarterbacks in the league, right? When you figure the third, the, the third string. 
he's not one of I mean, the best yeah, yeah, but, but how many hold on hold on hold on but how many invite him to camp he, because he well hold on guys but he's got an active lawsuit against the NFL and he went to his deposition wearing a modern day a modern slave t-shirt like this guy isn't employable i'm sorry like we can i don't i don't 100% okay, Joe, i 99% Joe, disagree Robert, but come on man like he, Robert he Kraft is hanging out with Meek Mill. Okay, come on. <laughs> well, okay, but that should tell you. But but that's Sending why. His private that's why you know. Ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, Kaepernick. You know, he he's got. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not even going to guess what his IQ is or isn't. But the people that manage him have done him an incredible disservice because to let him walk into that meeting with that group of people with that type of shirt on. He, he was done, man. Like, no one, like, it took Vic time to repair his image before people rolled the, like, really invited him back. Like, some people, look at Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel's a capable quarterback. Are you going to make the same argument for him that he's being, he's being uh, outcast or, or he's being, uh, whatever, uh, it's collusion to keep Johnny Manziel out? No, he's just a distraction. Joe, Joe, he's just a come distraction. On. Johnny Manziel's Kaepernick, behavior Kaepernick. was detrimental to his play. I mean, that's very Ka- Kaepernick, Kaepernick was, Kaepernick was beat out by Blaine Gabbert, guys. Once he went vegan, he couldn't play anymore. The, the stats don't lie. He was not a good Blaine, quarterback. Blaine Gabbert's legit. Yeah, I'm not right? saying he was a good quarterback. I'm saying he could. He's an employable quarterback as a third string on Listen. on just about any team in football, and he's not getting Can, that opportunity. And I'm saying that's not fair. Well, maybe we maybe you don't sue the league and, 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 and Joe, rock you'll a put rock. a bow on this. All right. Yeah. Can we all just agree the NFL has not solved the problem? Regardless, 100% agree. And Problem ratings will continue go, yeah, ratings will continue to go down and the donk that just paid an arm and a leg for the for the Panthers is uh I mean he set the new he set a new limit there but uh, the NFL's in trouble. I mean the the product I, the anthem is one piece of it but the actual on the field product is terrible. It's too many commercials. Yeah, I mean, the uh, rules do don't make any sense. Nobody knows what a catch yeah, what, is. What did they do? Well, nobody knows what a football move they, is. What's a fumble? It, it's they've 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 gotten Steve actually said it perfectly. The NFL can't get out of its own way. Instead of simplifying the game and and just expanding the margin of error, let the refs actually make calls in real time and move on. Like we're getting to a point where I think within the next two three years they're gonna have to get rid of the coach challenges altogether or get rid of review altogether because it's it's destroyed the game. It's completely the game is too slow. It's too start and stop. And millennials, I mean, I mean, what, I'm not what, even what a millennial. Is, it's terrible. This? It's terrible. What is this it new is kickoff? Terrible. The kickoff rule. I mean, you, you. I think you have to walk now in the kickoff. You can't <laughs> you run. Can't, it's like you're run. you're next to a yeah. pool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. I, like, and that's the thing. And like, and this this uh, this constant reactive nature of the NFL. Like, okay, concussions are a problem. And then they make the rule, and then they release a statement that actually concussions were down over the last year on kickoff plays that uh, over the pre- previous years. So it's like. Just stick to what you're doing, and you're, you don't even know why you're doing what you're doing. And that's my problem with the NFL. I can't watch an NFL game. They're three and a half hours long, okay? And the action and just, I mean, the last the last 10 minutes of a game are an hour by themselves, and it's just stupid. It's just, it's too much. It's tough. It's tough. Uh, let's let's park it there. We went a little bit over, a little bit of, a, of an extra, extra show, but that's okay. Uh, for Matt, for Steve, my name is Joe. Thank you so much for listening to DTC. I guess we should start basically saying the podcast formerly known as Defeating the Curse because the Caps are on their way to bringing a, a title home to DC. So if you got a name suggestion of how, of how we can rebrand DTC to stand for something else, please let us know. 
Uh, but please stay tuned over the next week. Lots of insider information coming on the Caps. Defeated the then, curse. D- yeah, there you go. Thanks, thanks there you Matt. Go. Matt the Met. Bring it, bring in the, bring in the heat at the end of the podcast. Thank you. Uh, stay tuned. Stay in, stay engaged with us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the website, the podcast. Uh, now on Google Play as well. For those that are on Android, don't know why you're on on Android, but it's there. Thank you so much for listening. For the entire DTC family. Let's go Caps. We are out.